Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV. Hydration doesn't get enough attention. It's not just about people running around a tennis court or doing an hour of Zumba or body pump. Proper, functional hydration is an all-day, everyday thing. And to help us stay hydrated, Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration multiplier. Sure, you can use Liquid IV before, during, and after playing pickleball, but you can also use it when you're starting to lose concentration in Zoom meetings or even after a night out with friends. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water can hydrate you back to life two times faster than water alone, and you'll be getting essential vitamins plus three times as many electrolytes as leading sports drinks. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. My favorite flavor is Golden Cherry. It's one of 12 great-tasting flavors that make hydration pretty exciting. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WHENDATINGHURTS at liquidiv.com. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is an interview with Jen, and for the most part, she will be talking about her friend, Mary, and the path that her husband, Jude, put her on. It's one of those cases where there is domestic violence, and this guy was clever enough and evil enough to help propel her down a path where she did a lot of things that didn't turn out well, but he was smart enough and evil enough to make sure that his fingerprints weren't on what he pushed her into doing. So Jen will tell the story of her friend Mary, who is currently incarcerated in a state prison. There is much to be learned from listening to how Jen tells the story of not only what happened with Mary, but what Jen has experienced in her own life. This is one where you might want to consider getting a legal pad and a couple of fresh pens and taking notes because you will be able to use a lot of the information that you hear in this interview in your own life or in the lives of people you care about. Here is my interview with Jen. Jen, I'm very happy that you have joined us on the When Dating Hurts podcast. And I know you want to tell a story about your friend, Mary, your relationship with her and all she's been through and what she's going through currently. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for allowing me to be here and for allowing me to be an advocate. Yes. And I feel very compelled to tell you that I believe I'm here for a higher purpose or reason. And I'm deeply sorry for your loss and for your family's loss. I appreciate that. Thank you. And you had a recent podcast, What You Should Do Before Leaving Your Abuser. And I sent it to my closest female friends. 
my adult daughter and to my dad who came to my rescue when I reached out for his help to help me extricate a relationship where I didn't feel safe. And, mm. and all of this is very hard. All, I mean, we all know that. Yes. It's hard to admit what's going on to ourselves. It's hard to ask for help and hard to explain why. And I have so much compassion for your family. It's just hard to know what to do and to take action. So what is the purpose? Why am I doing this? Partly to ease my suffering and to help other people who are suffering. And we're all just trying to find a way through. And we all want healing. We are all worthy of love. And I'm trying to shine light in the dark and to pursue justice. I'm here to tell a cautionary tale, and it may not be told in a linear timeline, but I will try. Mm -hmm. And I have a few calls to action because it, it is who I am. I, I want to act and I, I want to help. So I'm here to tell, it's a true life tale of my very close friend who is incarcerated. And before anybody judges, I'm just asking people to listen and possibly seek to understand how this could have happened, why it's currently happening. Jen, when you say she's incarcerated, where is she? Is she in like a county jail or prison or where is she? Um, a state prison. State prison. Oh, my. Yes. She's given me her permission to tell her story and she wants to speak through me. So I am her proxy and she wants to use this as a tale of what not to do. She and I are, are long friends. Uh, we met about 25 years ago and have been fast friends. We, we share a lot in common in terms of our faith. We met through work and I'm just, I'm so thankful she's my friend. And I, I want to tell her tale. I'll incorporate aspects of what I've learned and really just, uh, I want to give hope to all the listeners, to you, to your family, to myself, and to let people know that they can do it. I feel that people are listening to this now and have listened to your podcasts and are seeking podcasts to help themselves. So I'm just really hoping that whatever I can convey will continue to help. Yes, I'm very glad you're doing this. Thank you. This is wonderful. Yeah, okay. very, very unselfish of you. Okay. Well, I want everyone to remember that they can extricate themselves. They can. They are empowered and they have will. So I try to coach myself and my friend tells me to take things slowly. It's, um, it's part of a trauma response to take things slowly. I want to encourage everyone just to, to start out, to listen to themselves, believe themselves, believe what you're feeling is real and it is true. And there's no way out, but through. Ask yourself, do I feel safe? Bill, in your most recent podcast with Sarah from Australia, really resonated when she talked about she didn't feel safe in her body. Oh. Number one, yes. listen to yourself and rest with that knowledge. If you don't feel safe in your body, then you don't feel safe and you're not safe. Heed the warning that you're not safe. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference a few references and resources that are incredibly helpful You've, you've had them referenced in your book and your podcasts, and I'm really just trying to encourage and loop back around and emphasize for people to start gathering their resources. I have books, I have podcasts, I have websites, I have emails to myself, and it's all 
building up this encouragement for myself and for others. So there's reasons we choose to stay. We actually must choose to leave. We actually don't have a choice. There are dire consequences. We've all, people who are listening, we hear now, we've all suffered the consequences and we don't have to live this life anymore. Those who have lost loved ones, unfortunately, do have to live through the consequences. But we have free will and we must choose to leave. And we're stronger than we possibly know when we're trying to face the truth. That's part of what I understand. And I get a little emotional whenever I hear you talk about your daughter because um, we, when we're going through it, we are lying to ourselves, but there's a reason we're doing that. Some of us, many of us, maybe most of us, we're empathetic, we're hopeful for the fairy tale. We just want a good life. And when we meet people that we could have never understood who they are, what are the things that make them who they are, we can't actually believe it. We can't believe ourselves when we are feeling unsafe. But we have to have the courage and we have the ability. And that's all I'm trying to accomplish is just to encourage people. Just remember everyone who's listening that it will get better. I didn't believe it. So I've been through and concurrently continue to go through three scenarios. I'm not going to reference them too much here that I wouldn't have understood the terminology. I wouldn't have understood the words, it will get better, but it does. And it's not linear, but it will get better. If people can just document for themselves how things are getting better, maybe wake up in the morning and just make a note on your phone about one thing you're grateful for, five things you're grateful for. Remember that things get better and there's peace on the other side. Sometimes there's peace if we choose to find it. I have a few things I'm going to reference as I eventually get into the tale. I like to joke that I'm a lot like my dad. He takes a long time to tell a story, and I love that about himself, and I find it quirky about myself, and I like it about myself that it tells, takes me a while to get to the point. Okay, so when I'm trying to help myself and help others, I'm going to encourage people to extricate for themselves and for their children because children are the first to suffer in conflict. We, as protective parents, we have to remember it's not about us. And yes, we have to reach for the oxygen mask first to save ourselves. But remember the why. The why is because the kids are suffering and they may suffer the rest of their lives. But the first step is to get them out of the situation because they are helpless. And it's incumbent upon us to take them out of the situation. I want to encourage everybody to. Heed the advice. If someone's coming to you saying, this doesn't sound right, like you, you mentioned your daughter's very good friend. I think she had to separate herself because something didn't feel right. It didn't sound right. It's complex. But I just encourage people to seek help and to educate yourself. Part of what I know has helped me and my friend's story who I'm getting ready to tell. She says things to me like she wishes she could have done things and she would have done things the way I have in one of my situations. I chose to listen to myself. I chose to listen to authorities who said I had to follow their advice. I had to follow steps. And in that time and since, I've chosen to educate myself. I feel that I'm a subject matter expert in all of these things. I'm going to share some of that. In addition to your book, which everybody needs to have, everybody needs to reference, it's important. Some of the most helpful pages I want everyone to read 
if you're in a situation where your body doesn't feel safe, you're starting to question yourself, you're gaslighting yourself, you've been gaslighted, what does that even mean? I encourage everybody to read pages 304 to 310 of Bill Mitchell's book, When Dating Hurts. It is some of the most powerful, important pieces of advice that I, as a champion, I'm not a victim, I'm way beyond a survivor, I'm a champion now, read pages 304, and I'm just going to give you the highlights of the, um, the title of the pages. You, you have the truth, the 33% statistic. The next page, it is intentional. And remember those words, it is intentional. So what is, it is intentional, what does it mean? I'm going to quote from your book. Nobody mistakenly or accidentally manipulates, controls, or abuses another person for any period of time without intending to do so. It is deliberate. The notion that the abuser did not mean to be doing this is the biggest lie every abuser tells. It is not true. It is intentional. It is unfortunate when victims believe their excuses they hear from abusers and remain in unhealthy relationships. Many abused women sympathize with their abusers and in doing so make matters worse. They enable more abuse. And I'm going to have to put that down for a second. If everyone will take a pen, make a note, make a mental note, write these words down. There are two words I want people to write down and then go research, whether it's later, whether it's later today or in a month. This is what helped me understand I had to extricate. I understand my friend didn't have the ability to research, and there's so many reasons why that she didn't. She was self-medicating because she couldn't face the truth of what was going on. But remember, it is intentional, and the two words are narcissist and sociopath. The words that are the launching pad, the launching point of what I need to convey today, remember the words narcissist and sociopath commit the definitions to memory, sit with it, sit with what is the meaning. Because many of us, again, protective parents, empaths, compassionate humans, many of us are not that way. We are not intentionally abusing. We are not doing the intentional things our abusers are doing. We are different, thank goodness. And there are helpers there are empathetic people who do not want to do those things. We intend the opposite. So I'm just going to go with the highlights again because um, taking notes is really important. The page is about breaking up. I'm asking people to heed the warning, Bill, that, that you go through in breaking up. It allowed me, it afforded me the opportunity in my third instance of doing exactly the right thing, exactly the right way with the least dire consequences because breaking up with an abuser is incredibly difficult and there's a path that we actually have to follow. When I mentioned some of the first and foremost things we have to do is listen to the words, understand the definitions, feel the feelings. Step one is to get into therapy. As the survivor now champion, you must get into therapy. You must have help from a, I'm going to say board certified trauma therapist or complex trauma therapist. Those words are incredibly important because what we go through, what my friend continues to go through and has most of her life, it is complex PTSD. What the people you've brought onto your podcast continue to help educate me. 
if anyone can start by finding therapy with a complex PTSD therapist, it will set you on the right path, I think, I believe. Concurrently, your children deserve the love and support that you're already involved with raising your children, protecting your children. As soon as possible, if you haven't already, your children need to be into therapy. However you can accomplish it, there are resources to provide therapy that don't have to be expensive. My background is, and I'm going to get emotional, uh, my background is a concurrent story to my friends. So um, many of us had challenges growing up with a narcissistic parent, taking the diverging paths of covert narcissism versus malignant narcissism. I was raised by a covert narcissist and married a malignant narcissist. Didn't even understand what any of that was until a month before I chose to follow legal professionals and extricate myself and my children from a household that was not good. During the month or two before, during and after, I, I was listening to the signs. I was listening to myself. I was listening to my children. And my background is that. It's very long and complicated, which is why eventually I wanted to tell you my story when I feel the time is right, because I know it will help people. And so because of that period of time when I extricated myself, and I love that word because it's a powerful word, my background is in learning all the things, becoming educated, and now I am a subject matter expert in family law. When you, you talk about when dating hurts, dating violence, family violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, I'm thankful to say I'm now a subject matter expert and I've never been a victim. I've had experiences, I've had the knowledge, I've had the ability to understand and believe myself, and now I'm a speaker. Okay. Jennifer Gardner, tell us what she wrote or did. She is an advocate for Save the Children, an organization, amongst all the many, many wonderful things she does in her life. She says, as I continue to learn more, I will begin by donating to Save the Children, who have boots on the ground overseas with this effort. Another great resource when we're not diving into the education and details of the words I, I used before. On a lighter note, I follow Jennifer Garner on all the platforms because she's just a quirky, fun mom who has a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah, I have new appreciation for her. I didn't know about all those things. Yeah. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV Sugar Free. What do I like most about Liquid IV? Maybe it's how they make everyday hydration easier than ever. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Or maybe it's the new sugar-free flavors like white peach, green grape, and lemon lime. Or it could be Liquid IV has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV, sugar-free, has no artificial sweeteners and zero sugar, so you get a nice sweet taste without the calories or raised glucose levels from sugar. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix that utilizes the science of cellular transport technology to deliver water and key nutrients into your body faster and more efficiently than water alone. That way, whether you're playing a sport, doing Zumba, or you're just making your way through another day at work or at home, you stay hydrated more efficiently. And here's a nice offer. Get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free 
or any variant at liquidiv.com and use this code when dating hurts at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code when dating hurts at liquidiv.com. So in our arsenal of help for ourselves, I encourage everyone to look at your book, to read your book. There's also an incredibly helpful resource called Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, MD. And the reason why I'm explaining these, these words, these paragraphs, is because when we're recognizing what we've gone through and then getting the courage to extricate, it's also important to understand why are we behaving this way? So Bill, I was going to ask you earlier if you could tell that I'm currently dealing with some PTSD symptoms. I'm high anxiety. These are things people in my personal life know full well about me. I seek validation from people. I'm weaving this into my friend's story because I'm validating for all of your listeners. I'm validating for myself that we've all been through it. My friend chooses trauma recovery in the form of faith healing. She's a a very faithful believer and she doesn't have to lean into validation of others. I choose to lean into validation of others and, and here's why. So Judith Herman, MD, references the fundamental stages of recovery are establishing safety, reconstructing the trauma story, and restoring the connection between survivors and their community. The second part of her book develops an overview of the healing process and offers a new conceptual framework for psychotherapy and traumatized people. Survivors challenge us to reconnect fragments. Survivors, in my opinion, also, I'm going to go off off script here. Survivors challenge ourselves as survivors to reconnect fragments, to reconstruct history, to make meaning of present symptoms in the light of past events. So the author says she's tried to find language that can withstand the imperatives of doublethink and allows us to come closer to facing the unspeakable. So the concept of doublethink, I'm not going to even try to define it right now, but I put that word together with gaslighting because we as champions, the next phase past survivorship, we do fall back into patterns of gaslighting ourselves and questioning our own reality. It's just part of the experience. Hopefully we will all move past all of it, leave the past in the past, and it's incredibly hard to do. But the concept of doublethink, that two things can exist at once. We can love deeply the abuser. We can do that. It is possible when we are biologically connected to a mother. When my friend sought shelter with a man who has done such unspeakable things, it's, it's very hard to communicate today what he continues to do, what, what he did over their long marriage. We just have to keep pushing through. So double think, gaslighting, I encourage people to keep reading and keep, keep researching. When you talk about double think, what would be your definition of that? Because um, I could make one up. I'd love to hear your perspective because I'm not really clear on my own. This would be my guess. I'll, I'll say the word guess because I don't don't really know. I would think of double think as being there's what I saw that took place, saw or heard what took place, but I perhaps for my own protection interpreted it differently from what actually happened possibly because I could 
I just prefer the, I, I prefer a different version from what happened. I'm telling myself, I'm protecting myself by giving myself a different spin on what I saw and witnessed probably to make myself feel better about what happened. But I can see why that therefore is gaslighting myself. Excellent. That's an excellent explanation. Excellent guess. Yeah, absolutely. As I continue, and I'm just about ready to get into the story, I encourage people to, to take notes. I take notes. I pause podcasts. I take notes. I educate myself. So as I launch into Mary's story, a couple of things to remember amongst all the things I'm asking people to remember is the situation always gets worse. Don't kid yourself. And we do that. No one is to blame, but we have to recognize that we are not facing the truth. And the truth is the situation will get worse. There will be a next time. There will be a next time. And for our children and for ourselves, we cannot choose to live this way anymore. Document the patterns of behavior. Document right. Post in a safe document area where your abuser can't have access. Patterns of behavior. Dates, times, don't worry about putting it into the right chronological order yet. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to get it all out. So sometimes people won't document until it's acute and then it all comes out and it all comes out in a jumbled mess and you have to give yourself grace and forgiveness. Take a breath, come back to it, but get it out because it's going to become useful and it's incredibly important. Many of these situations turn into legal situations, and the best way to protect yourself is to document with words, with photographs, with evidence. It is self-protection, and you can do it. I mentioned that one woman on one of our podcasts, probably really now two years ago, she did exactly what you said. She would document, but she would also stop by a notary and have things notarized as they, as soon as she could after they happened. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. hadn't considered that. That's very powerful. What a great piece of advice. It's just amazing. It was just so brilliant. Some of the things that many people hear about, I'm here to tell you this must be done. I'm telling you it can be done in real time on the day you're leaving your abuser if you do it slowly and if you have I'll say a buddy system or a partner, one person physically sitting with you and you're saying, help me. I can't do this by myself. My brain isn't working correctly. I'm overwhelmed. My anxiety is so high. I can't do this alone. We can be helpers. I'm going to go back to my, my friend's story in a little bit and explain that over the years, I did try to help. I should have helped more. I forgive myself that I wasn't able to do all the right things, but we still have to keep helping. So when I say document everything, list witnesses. There are likely people such as your children who've witnessed exactly what you've experienced. Change your passwords, get your own bank account. You can make money and put into a bank account and do things that they never thought they were strong enough to do. For instance, a dog walking business. If you save $5 a week for a month, for a year, if you just start saving money, you can do it. 
you can extricate yourself. You can ask for help. I know it's hard. There are resources. There are domestic violence shelters. There are resources. So here we go into Mary's story. It is complex. It's layered. My friend Mary and her abuser, Jude, both are to blame. Many of us, and I I don't like the word blame. I'm so glad that word doesn't exist in my household anymore. And my children aren't under an incredibly heavy blanket of blame and having to understand blame. But also, two things being possible at the same time, we have to accept responsibility for our part of blame to be able to move on and ask for forgiveness. My children are 17 and almost 20. And unfortunately, my children lived in the house until they were 13 and 16 before the situation ended. And I'm I'm thankful it ended when it did. I'm thankful that my son didn't have to see his dad push his mother one more time or say the things that he said. It's uh, it's unbearable. It's uh, unacceptable that I kept him in the house as long as he had to see all of it. It's, it's my fault that I didn't choose to leave earlier or do things different. I chose to engage in reactive abuse. I chose things that I shouldn't have done. And that's why I'm speaking right now. I'm interweaving my friend Mary's story to mine because I wish things would have been different. I wish I would have made different choices. Things possibly would have been better for my children. And at the same time, I got to forgive myself because I can't do anything about the past. I can try to make things better now. I can tell myself that my son didn't have to spend one more day with a, a brain that can't conceptualize what he's seeing. I don't know the impact, but I'm thankful it's over because he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it from either parent. So going back to my friend's story, my friend Mary's children are now 16 and 18. And um, because of things, uh, I believe on your podcast, there have been people who've referenced concepts like trauma bond. Yes. So if anybody wants to stop and pause and research the phrase trauma bond, understand what is a trauma bond? We all as victims, survivors, and champions, plus our children, often have trauma bonds with our abusers, whether it's our biological mother or our life partner that we've chosen. We have trauma bonds that we have to understand what it is. So, Mm -hmm. and again, one more phrase, because we have to accept responsibility for what we've done engaging in things like reactive abuse or like my friend, self-medicating. What does it mean? If we understand what these things are, maybe we can do something about it. Maybe we can make a choice. Very good. Very well put. Thank you. So I mentioned that my friend is incarcerated and I'm going to read a a parole letter that I wrote. And um, I, I am an advocate for my friend. She caused an accident when she was acutely intoxicated, the result of the accident was the loss of life. It's devastating to everyone. She is remorseful. She never wanted it to happen. 
and it's part of the reason why I'm speaking right now. This is the cautionary tale. She and I both want to convey she never wanted this to happen. So as I go back and forth telling what's happened, I mentioned before, we've been friends for over 25 years. And, you know, just like any friendship, there have been times where we didn't speak for a few months, you know, life gets in the way, we're busy. And on a particular day, I somehow Googled her name. I don't know why. Divine intervention, I don't know why, what led me to do that. Her mugshot appeared. And I couldn't process what I was looking at because my friend is in what I call the upper echelon of society. She's, I'll say, self-educated. She's lived a very fruitful life. If you met her, if you met her at the time, I guess 20 years that I knew her, you would have never guessed that this story I'm getting ready to tell happened. You would never guess that it's even possible. Again, why am I here? Dating violence, family violence, all of these things happen in all communities across all socioeconomic groups. You can't possibly believe not only the dire things that have happened to my friend, but a friend who is magnificent and someone who comes from a very affluent community. At the moment I saw her mugshot, I didn't know how to reach her. I didn't know where she was. I could not have understood what was happening, but eventually I found a way to get in touch with her. What I didn't know at the time was that she was living in an apartment awaiting next steps in the legal process. She was living in an apartment. That's where she was able to to live. So she was out of jail after the night that it happened. So she was incarcerated, I believe, because this is a, a back and forth, a nonlinear story, at that particular time, I didn't know how to reach her. I wanted to reach her. I wanted to help. I always want to help. I'm going to fast forward that it was about two and a half years after that moment that she then went into, I'll call it the full incarceration that she's experiencing now to atone, to take responsibility for what she had done, the accident that she had caused and the loss of life that she caused. So when I reached out to her attorney, just trying to figure out how can I communicate with my friend, I was able to send a letter. And the first thing I said in the letter was, I know your heart. I could not believe what had happened. And now all this time later, I can believe it. And that's why I'm here. I can believe it because of trauma, complex trauma that leads people to do things that they've done mm-hmm. of course. to cause the loss of life that she never intended. So the difference, although the result is loss of life of this wonderful man who now is no longer on earth, the difference is that the choice, the intention, so go back to the intention page, your daughter's abuser intended what he did. Mary's abuser intended to do what he did. She doesn't have an aggravated charge because she didn't intend Mm-hmm. to do this. Yes. The result and what she is paying for by being incarcerated and taking responsibility and pleading guilty, it's due to the fact that she did not intend to do this. She would choose anything else on earth but to have done this. Yes. And she is so deeply sorry. Yes. And I am actually her voice and she has not been able to speak. It's part of the reason I'm here and it's part of the reason why she's asked me to speak on her behalf because her voice has been silenced for many years, perhaps her entire life. And 
she has wanted to say she's sorry to the family and she wants the opportunity to say she's sorry. She's so very, very sorry. So this is a parole letter. I'm speaking to the parole in this letter about why she's a good person and why in her work, her advocacy work before, during, and after incarceration, she is a good person. She is redeemable and she wants to do good. She was doing good for others, for women suffering domestic violence, even as a victim at the time, she's been an advocate and she is continuing today through me. And this is part of what I'll explain about how she and I are working together. So in my letter, I said, I believe that despite her mistake, she is a good person. I feel this way for the reasons listed in the appendix below, very black and white, very bullet point, very prepared. Mm. I said, I believe Mary has always been and will always continue to be a useful citizen. It sounds very clinical the way I'm speaking, but I don't know who these people are who are reading this. I don't, I don't know that they understand that she is a person. She is a very good person who wants to help people, and she is helping people. And she took a life, and she didn't want to take a life. And she's going to spend the rest of her life paying for it and praying for the man whose life she took. Her attitude and beliefs have shifted due to her dedication to living a sober life, now almost five years sober. She is deeply and continually remorseful. She's made efforts to improve and has many certificates illustrated in her parole packet. She's earned vocation through your system. Mary intends to continue higher education outside of these walls. In conjunction with vocation, she will continue making a positive impact pursuing servant leadership in the public sector as she has since the early 2000s. She is accepted into a program when she is granted release by parole. And I'm going to take a pause, Bill, and just explain. Because of the example she set, she's shown people who she is. She's been given privileges that many people who are incarcerated have not. It's who she is. It is her heart. Yes. And so... There have been people who have been advocating for her that have nothing to do with me, people in her faith-based system that you would possibly not believe. I can't believe how many people and the magnitude, the titles of people who have come to her support, who have written letters like this for the simple purpose of supporting her, including this program where it is the only program she applied to. I'll call it the most supreme program you can be paroled to in our state. It's exceptional, and she's ready to transition when parole allows her. So I said she will use her extensive and impressive career background to gain employment with and through that program. So I was explaining through this letter how I acknowledge that she is up for parole at this time in her sentence. She has a very long sentence, and it is an unbelievable sentence given the fact that there's no aggravated charge. And I'm going to go back and forth with a couple of facts as I'm going in and out of my parole letter. I feel, perhaps I'm alleging, that she has been abused by the system with the consequences she's been given that don't exist for anyone else in her position. With a non-aggravated charge, with so many layers of how many suits have been against her, some that have been dismissed because of the non-aggravation charge and because it was perhaps, if I'm understanding, classified as an accident. One component here that's important to consider 
when I look at the information on the public internet about her charges, they're not correctly stated. So she caused. The first was the loss of life of this man. She didn't understand what she had done because she was acutely intoxicated. She didn't understand and continued to drive the vehicle, having thought with acute intoxication that she had hit debris and she was scared. So she continued moving her vehicle, driving her car, and caused a second accident. So it was a, a, a bit of a pileup. And this was on a service road. So regardless of the speed, I'm just trying to explain that it was a pileup, not at a high rate of speed, but it was a second accident. The charges look like she failed to stop and render aid. The charges are related to the second accident. So it's confusing the way I'm speaking. I sound like I'm defending her. I'm not defending her. I'm just explaining the facts, which are the charge is related to the second accident, but that's not how it reads. It looks like, and it is a fact, because she was acutely intoxicated, she did not stop and render aid. She did not know that she had hit and killed this man. Mm -hmm. So as I continue to talk about the parole letter, perhaps I'll go back into this in a minute. Part of why I'm here is to explain how she got here. How is it possible that someone can take a life unintended, acutely intoxicated, driving a vehicle? How is it possible? How do we prevent this? How do we prevent these things from happening? The loss of life her children don't have her anymore, that her children don't have a relationship with her anymore. The family doesn't have their loved one anymore. How does this happen? How do we prevent it? And remember that it's not all her fault. There are two people involved in the story and her abuser I'll get to in a minute. How do we get here? Mary's complex trauma started in her early teen years or in her childhood. She had married parents, it's a concept I hold very dear. It's a, a value system I believe in. It informed me. It informed my history of why I didn't leave. I felt the value of married parents should be held above the value of what was going on and hurting my children. I didn't know what to do. Do I leave? Do I stay? What's more important? I didn't understand. We have to understand what's more important. So when she had married parents, things seemed to be going well. But at the time of her parents' divorce, her mom started self-medicating with, with pills. My friend was sent to live with her mom, so saw an unhealthy environment. A lot of things concurrent, a lot of things happening at the same time. So when she was 15, my friend engaged in a relationship, a romantic relationship with someone her age, and my friend became pregnant. So at 15, she was admonished from her community and her parents, I, as I understand it, either both of her parents or one of her parents required her to go to a facility to have her twin daughters. And that was very traumatizing to go through that experience and to be put in a position where she had to give up her children for adoption. It was and continues to be devastating to her. It's not what she would have chosen to give up access to her children and to raise her children. So I have a lot of compassion for my friends because it just continues to build. The twin daughters are now um, 
somewhere around age 36 or something. And one of them unfortunately passed away. It's been very impactful, of course, to the sister who is surviving. And she's an incredibly articulate, lovely young woman. My friend is able to have a relationship with her, thankfully, now. That daughter, the surviving daughter, she is terrified of my friend's abuser. He has threatened her. Contact with him are terrified of him. And that's why Jude will continue to be called Jude because he's unpredictable and he is walking the streets. No justice has been brought with this abusive person. My friend moved on from age 15, leaving her children to be adopted by a lovely family, an absolutely lovely family who my friend is very thankful, raised beautiful, beautiful children. My friend continued into other romantic relationships, eventually marrying her abuser. And that was a, I'll say 20 plus year marriage. So what happened over the 20 plus year marriage was constant verbal and physical abuse to the magnitude I, I cannot, I can and probably don't want to understand, but trying to still sort of understand because it is uh, what I call the worst case of domestic violence I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. Now, she didn't lose her life. I realize the most dire consequence is the victim loses their life. She didn't lose her life. But then the question is, did she? What is her, what is her life now? She's having to pick up the pieces and suffer and move through the consequences of her actions or inaction. She is the victim and survivor of the worst case, what I call the worst case of domestic violence that I'm personally involved with. One of the points I, I make here as I'm going through the story is, why do we make the choices that we do? We are informed based on our past learnings, and we have to hold on to hope. We have to hold on to hope. As I'm moving into what I'll call the eventual day of the accident, it's important to know what makes a monster. Jude has a history, and Jude's history is also trauma-informed, and there are people that I have chosen not to forgive. I hope that I will get to a point in my life, in my life here on earth, where I choose to forgive a small handful of people I choose not to forgive right now. I hope to get there because we're called upon to forgive. I want to get there. I, I know my friend forgives people, and I, I choose not to forgive this monster. I know the feeling of not ready to forgive, believe me. I think that God will forgive me right now that I don't forgive knowing that I have hope and I have the ability to choose to forgive. I'm just not there yet. And I think that he gives me grace right now. Yes. Yeah, I believe that. Yes. Yes. This person, I, I call him a subhuman and I don't, I don't think that's funny because I, I can't conceptualize that this is human. I don't know why people like this exist. I don't even want to think about why they exist. Maybe they're here to, to teach us. Just like people I've known who have been informed and then go on to lead those lives. It's almost like a, a divergent path. It's intentional abuse or empathy. I feel like there's two paths. It's very black and white. And what's ironic is the intentional abusers often show up as people who are grandiose, grandstanding, saying, I'm the most empathetic person, like my covert narcissistic biological mother, standing up, grandstanding, saying that she is the most empathetic person on earth. Well, no, she's not. And I'm not going to sit here and grandstand. I'm just telling you that it's my perception that there are two types of people. Maybe there's more, I don't know. So while maybe we could learn to understand and, and forgive those who 
pursue the path of intentional abuse, I'm, I'm not going to choose to forgive them right now. He comes from a history of what I understand, and I, I might have this wrong, but what I understand from my recollection is that he came from a devout religious family who chose like um, natural health to heal naturally as opposed to seek Western medicine when someone is sick. His sister passed away when he was young. I believe that's what I understand. And he had no control. He didn't have the ability because he was a child to help her. And I, I think that that informed him that he had no control in life. So what did he do? He intended to abuse. He became all about control. He is all about control. He lives in a world where he has control of everything. He has become an abusive, controlling monster. And he is what I call evil incarnate. She was self-medicating for these 20 years, it's important to know that part of the story of domestic violence is that many people do self-medicate. She, as I remember, or as I understand, drank all day, every day, or at times did that. But now, no longer living with her abuser, ironically, or maybe by divine intervention, or programs, or faith, she's almost five years sober. Well, how does someone who is acutely intoxicated for over half their life how do they maintain five years of sobriety when you're removed from your abuser and you no longer have any reason to self-medicate? You don't. And she continues to be abused, but she's not in the house with him physically being beaten and uh, all the emotional abuse that went into it. So I, I applaud people who have the ability and the courage to live a sober life, especially when they're away from their abuser. So she is a protective parent. And the impact on her two beautiful sons, I actually can't really even, I can't conceptualize right now. I, I have so much compassion for these wonderful children. She and I have been able to maintain a relationship while she's incarcerated. We get to talk on the phone and we have this electronic mail, much like email. And when we were on the phone in May, she was able to hear in the background, I had her older son's graduation ceremony playing and I got to play over and over and over and over when they said his name and he got to walk across the stage. And so unfortunately, my friend had to miss her son's high school graduation. And because of divine intervention, what we know is that he's doing well. So he was wearing an important symbol around his neck that allows her to know because I sent her photographs afterwards of his beautiful smiling face. And it was like, it's almost like he was saying, hey, mom, I'm good because he is. He's doing so well by the grace of God. He's doing so well. It's only by God that, that he is where he is and he is magnificent. He's taken paths that were only given to him by his mother, God, but by his mother who gave him the faith base that has allowed him to be where he is now. Her younger son has a ways to go. She and I understand that he must continue in the trauma bond right now, certainly being underage and towing the line, knowing that he has a certain life path. If he follows the path of his father, he will get the college tuition. He will continue living the good life just to be able to extricate himself, hopefully. I see in the future, and I tell her all the time, I, I can't wait to get to a point where I get to take the picture of you hugging your older son, and a separate picture of you hugging your younger son. Her younger son is such a sweet boy. 
and he bared so much of the impact when, and just please remember that children suffer, children are suffering when we don't remove them from these homes. So when her abuser would kick her out of her house multiple times and she would have to sleep in her car in their affluent neighborhood, her son would bring a pillow and a blanket to her car, her younger son who loves his mommy. And she can't see him now and she can't hug him and she can't continue raising him daily. And uh, she doesn't know if her boys are getting her letters. She doesn't get to have phone calls with them because I'm just going to summarize and say because of the trauma bond. I've, um, I've looked at the court testimony and words that their father has said. And it's some of what I want to talk about because it's part of the heeding the warning. These people are hiding in plain sight. I'm so thankful there are court officials, law enforcement who exist to help us to get to justice, and they are not educated. Some are, some need to be tremendously educated, and that's why we're here. We're all here just trying to help. The things that he has not adhered to and has been allowed to get away with are daunting, and it's not in my hands. It's not appropriate for me to pursue. I hope that the legal system will continue to look and they are looking at this person because he has violated court orders. He has violated documents such as divorce decree, where there are things that he has been required to do that he isn't doing, such as maintaining access for his children, their children, to have a relationship with their mother. It's inexcusable, and it's very confusing because she is the protective parent, and she has no access to her children. Support for When Danny Hurts comes from Sun and Swell. We all love snacks, but I just discovered Sun and Swell's organic, real ingredient snacks. These are the answer for health-conscious people looking for delicious, wholesome snack experiences. Elevate your snacking with great flavor, healthy products, and get this part. Sun and Swell has a real commitment to our planet. Here's how Sun and Swell has redefined snacking. Sun and Swell is the nation's first online grocery store that is offering plastic-free packaging. No one else is doing this. You can even send used packaging back using their compostable send-back program. It's the best of both worlds. It's delicious, 100% plant-based, vegan products, 100% gluten-free, 100% real food, without added preservatives. And every product comes in earth-friendly, compostable packaging. What's more, Sun & Swell is a woman-owned small business. It's also a B corporation, which underscores their social and environmental performance. If you're looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun & Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use my code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off your entire order when you use When Dating Hurts at sunandswellfoods.com. What I want to share with you, Bill, is that I, I recognize it's hard for victims, survivors to leave. I also recognize for fathers, because of my own experience, it is incredibly difficult to recognize and help even when daughters are asking for help. So, so let me give you an example. And this is why I understand it's incredibly mm-hmm. complex. In my second of three challenging situations that I've been in, at one point I asked for my dad's help and he came to help me. But because of my trauma response, I minimized and mitigated the situation. 
made it look less severe, would not acknowledge how bad it was, could not have understood how bad it was going to get. And let me say how bad it was going to get for my son, for my son, who, if I would have stopped lying to myself 13 years prior to leaving that situation, perhaps my son would not have had to see beyond the time when he was a baby that one time, perhaps I could have made a choice to continue with my dad's help because he was trying and I almost wouldn't let him. And my son wouldn't have had to see his mother be pushed or have had a heavy set of keys hurled at me from across a distance. And all of the things that took place, including my part, I was angry that I wouldn't leave. I did not behave well because I just wouldn't leave. But I want, I want you to understand that. Oh, I understand. I know dads just want to help. They want to know so they can help. And I'm really, really lucky that I, I had my dad the third time. We're in a position from the time they're babies of being protectors. In my daughter's situation, it was over. You know, by the time I knew there was anything going on, it was a right. detective telling me what happened. It's over. Exactly. That's exactly the point. Yeah, I just wish things were different where you would have been given an opportunity to understand because sure. it's innate. You just want to protect. And I understand your anger this much. I'll tell you what I saw with my dad the third time. I call him the long arm of the law. He wasn't messing around because my abuser harasser would not stop. He would not stop. He hasn't stopped. He had to deal with my dad. Thank goodness. Because I caught, I cut off contact and then it transitioned into my dad and he was like, no, that's it. No more. You will, you will come through me. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm so thankful. Mm. Goodness. Just, just awesome. I'm very lucky. Great guy. Sure. Right. Something I thought about early this morning, knowing the impact of that first meeting with your daughter's abuser. Yes. Knowing the impact that made on you. We all have to trust ourselves. Those of us on the other end of the divergent path, we know what our intent is, which is to protect our children. And yes, yes. We, we have to listen to ourselves. We have to listen to our intuition. And Bill, you know that you were right. Um, I have someone in my life who is, well, a few people who are incredibly intuitive. I believe I'm intuitive not as a badge of honor, I'm saying, mm -hmm. you feel it, believe it, believe what you're feeling. I know we all are hoping for the best. You wanted the best for your daughter. You couldn't have known. You didn't know what you didn't know, but you had a feeling and we have to listen to those feelings. And so it, it is what informed me, those feelings that led to my second situation extrication. I listened and there were dire consequences for leaving the way I did with my children listening. I was listening to legal professionals, but I listened to what was going on and I wasn't making it up. I know what was happening in real time to my children. Mm -hmm. um, and whether it was right or wrong, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it's over for them. Okay. So for the listeners, remember what Bill said, remember exactly what he said, go back to it, go back to the book. What did he feel when he met 
Kristen's abuser. And don't ever forget that your feelings and or fear or whatever you're going to call it, it's there for a reason. And we are all just trying to learn. It took me a long time to leave. It took me a long time to leave. And it's hard. Okay. So going into the middle to the end of the my friend's story. So in January of a particular year, because of something that Jude was doing, law enforcement got involved and he has a domestic violence charge. So he has a criminal past. And unfortunately, two days later, because she was continuing to self-medicate, she um, was arrested for a DUI. And this was um, approximately 15 years before the accident where there was a loss of life. She caused the loss of life. So my, my point in telling you this is this is a very long history of what took place in their home around their children. Um, it was real. It is real. It was happening for a long time. She made mistakes and he abused for a very long time. She chose to let the charges go because that's what happens in these situations where law enforcement tries to get involved. There is a charge, but I guess there was something else that she was able to affect that alleviated or reduced the charges or something. Go ahead. If you just tilt your mic down just about a half an inch. Okay, I'm getting some pops when you do, you know, peas, oh. pops, those things. Okay. Is this a yeah. little bit better? It's fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Please. All right. <clears throat> some other some other things that I could not conceptualize. When people are married or when they're in long-term relationships, life partnerships, perhaps they do things to each other they think are acceptable and perhaps survivors or victims are in a situation they can't even comprehend themselves. So if you're hearing this and you're experiencing this, listen to the fact that it is not right and it's criminal behavior. This man continues to walk the streets and committed these acts. There are witnesses and I cannot comprehend, but I'm going to say it out loud because people need to know this happens in marriages. So he perpetuated and aided her acute intoxication, their entire relationship. And at the same time, this is sort of confusing, allowed her to go to rehab towards the time the accident happened. But at one point in their marriage, he sex trafficked her. And I don't know if it was one time or many. And I'm going to tell this, I call it extreme story for a reason, because those of us who can help, I know we don't know what we don't know, but now I can do something about it. I can pay it forward by asking people to listen. If anything sounds like any of this, try to help. Or if you're experiencing it, listen to yourself and then get into therapy. So in the last year, I'm aware of the fact that um, my friend, again, who comes from a very affluent lifestyle, very affluent neighborhood, was being put in situations where she was having to engage in criminal sex acts. And one time she extricated herself and was running down a street naked 
um, trying to get to help. I believe there was someone with her. I don't know if it was a friend. I don't know if it was someone who was continuing to put her in harm's way, but she was picked up by, and I'm telling this like third, fourth person story to explain. We don't know how these abominable things happen. We don't know how they happen, but they do. So she was picked up, I guess, brought back to her home at some point and continued to stay with her abuser. One of the key points I, I have, uh, I'm amazed I haven't brought this up, or maybe I did in the beginning. I'm going to say, yes, she stayed with her abuser, but don't ask, why does she stay? Don't ask that question. I'm going to tell you why she stays. We all stay because of complex trauma. That's it. It's simple. We all stay. And there's a lot of words around this. Um, the trauma bond. Other people have complex situations where financially they cannot leave or they're being told if they leave, they will be killed, their family will be killed, their children will be killed. I'm, I'm telling you scenarios exist. The fear is so layered and it's hard to understand if you're not walking through it, if you haven't walked through it. So I'm trying to explain this is real and there's reasons people go back. There's reasons people stay. There's reasons people choose to have children with their abusers. They want the fairy tale. We just want a good life. We want the other of the divergent paths. So she was sex trafficked and he walks the streets, not prosecuted. So as I go back and forth with the story, you, you know where she is now. You know that there has been loss of life. With multiple truths existing at one time, the reason why this is such a hard story to tell is because, I've mentioned this before, she continues to be abused, both by Jude in what's called post-separation abuse. So I encourage people to look up the phrase, and I believe, Bill, I've heard it on your podcast too. It's, it's incredibly healing to understand what it is. Some of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is it? What is it that I'm experiencing? If you look at post-separation abuse, there's actually an organization, One Mom's Battle. This is an organization that my friend and I um, participate in, understand, study up on, um, especially when it comes to advocacy together. The post-separation abuse wheel is really the playbook that my friend's abuser goes by. Every single aspect of that. Oh, that's horrible. So it includes, and I'm just going to give the highlights, neglectful or abusive parenting, coercive control. I'm going to go back to that in a minute. Isolation, harassment and stalking, legal abuse, financial abuse, counter-parenting, counter-parenting. So... You talk about in your book the, the danger of leaving and why we all need to heed the warning about the danger of leaving. What I didn't know is what happens after. I've said that if I would have known how bad it was going to get in my second situation, I wouldn't have left. Well, that's not the answer. But I'm glad I didn't know how bad it was going to get. And I only experienced some of this she experiences now in real time, most of it. I'm just trying to explain to people, perhaps it's good to have the totality of what it is to then seek resources to help you. 
I mean, what you're saying, which is so powerful, is that not only are you being horribly abused in the present, but even after you leave, you'll probably be horribly abused afterwards. More reason to get out as soon as possible, to make that commitment, to get help, to go to a DV agency or do something. But you're going to pay now, you're going to pay later. Big time. You are, and it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. But we have to choose to leave now. And I'm going to go back to for the children. And even if, even if there are not children in the picture, we have to choose to survive. We have to. So looping back to my friend, I truly believe that she didn't have the capacity because she was self-medicating. She was so underwater with drinking that she didn't have the awareness and the understanding of what was going to happen if she continued down the path of self-medicating. Um, even with the facts that she had a prior DUI, she never wanted to take a life. I don't think she could conceptualize that that was going to happen. She was trying to survive the only way she knew how. Um, it's, it's not an excuse. We, we, have to, we have to make choices. We have to make other choices. So I'm going to pause there and I'm going to talk about advocacy work because, again, we all just want to help. So I mentioned this organization, One Mom's Battle. Um, I don't know how to say this properly. They've, they've transitioned more into, um, I believe it's a website called Family Court Awareness. So just trying to survive, Mary and I were uplifting each other, especially before, you know, in the time before she went into incarceration. And we were just on, I'll call it a war path of trying to help others. And it, it's just, it's interesting to read. It's important to be involved with. There are, are two things that she and I have been involved with. And starting on the, the heels of October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This organization created a path for those who want to advocate to go to cities and have a proclamation created. So Mary had in her city a proclamation that has been created, and the mayor of her city continues to read it during certain domestic violence events, that November is Family Court Awareness Month. And I'm going to read it, and it's incredibly important. And anyone has the ability to look, Google Family Court Awareness Month. You can take this terminology and have it issued. You just go to your, your city, city council, and just start asking for help. Will you create a proclamation that November is Family Court Awareness Month? October or November? So October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And the only reason I bring that up is because this dovetails past that. It takes a step further. I see. Okay, it is November. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this proclamation says that that organization, One Mom's Battle, will observe Family Court Awareness Month, and of course, thus your city will, to raise awareness of high conflict divorces and child custody battles and their impact upon shared parenting. So I'm going to pause there and explain. I recognize the fact that this is a much larger view 
of dating violence. It's not just divorces. It's not just custody. It is the totality of what's going on. My friend and I understand the magnitude of coercive control. So if you put coercive control at the 90,000 foot view, it is the umbrella that covers all of this that we are talking about. Mm-hmm. It's how you get down to all the definitions, all the understandings. So if you start with coercive control, I am taking a, a path, uh, I'm taking a step off the path here. Most states do not have laws um, regarding coercive control. Many of us in the advocacy community are trying to um, lobby for these laws. They exist in the state of Connecticut, California, and a few others I'm forgetting right now. But um, we all can do better advocating for coercive control laws. I highly recommend, if anyone's interested in reading, look at Jennifer's Law in Connecticut and the impact and her story. So if you remember the story of Jennifer Dulos, D-U-L-O-U-S, Jennifer Dulos, definitely one of the worst cases of domestic violence in history, as I understand it. Um, and I can't imagine her children having to um, endure what they've had to endure without their mother. So I'm just going to continue because we can all help. So this proclamation says this organization is committed to raising awareness among professionals in the family court system about the significance of education and training on matters concerning domestic violence, childhood trauma, and post-separation abuse. One Mom's Battle aims to inform family court professionals, including judges, that a single parent with a personality disorder, such as narcissistic personality disorder, can cause a divorce to become highly contentious, and the proper education of family court professionals, such as judges, magistrates, magistrates, commissioners, CPS workers, guardians, parenting coordinators, custody evaluators, therapists, and attorneys regarding domestic violence, trauma, and post-separation abuse is crucial. This education will enable them to make decisions that are truly in the best interest of the children who rely on them. So that is the proclamation of Family Court Awareness Month. Um, It's wonderful. I mean, it's just, uh, it's the obvious next place to go. Yeah. We, we can all do a better job, and some of us are trying to find ways to continue educating family court professionals. So there's two things I'm going to conclude with, I think. I, I don't know how it's possible. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and she's just a bright light. Um, she, her nickname is Joy, and I'm emotional because I haven't mentioned her much. And my hope is that she, above Everyone else, although that wouldn't make sense. I don't, I don't know what I, I wish for my son at this point, just that I hope he's learned the lessons of what not to do. He's such a good person. It's unbelievable, and he's very different. But with my daughter, I just, I, I hope that she, uh, I hope that she will never be in one of these relationships. It appears that she hasn't in a, in a dating relationship. Um. I, I try to educate her. She asks me to throttle back sometimes, and, and that's okay. She is a bright light, and I'm so thankful for her. So 
Good for you. As, as I'm, thank you. Yeah. As, yeah. as I'm concluding, my sister gets mad at me when I ask for validation. And I think partly because she doesn't understand and partly because I think she wants me to move on. I don't really know why, but I stand on a podium uh, theoretically and I scream from the mountaintops that I need people to listen. My friend needs people to listen because she didn't have a voice and she doesn't have a voice. I need people to validate me. I, I listen to you, Bill, when you need to talk, when you want to say something. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. need to be heard. This is painful. We have to get it out and we are moving on. Yes. So validating others, I, I got this off of Instagram or TikTok. Um, it can sound like this. So it's, it's a call to action for listeners. Say to your friend, your loved one, who's trying to make sense of what they're experiencing, or maybe they're long past extricating, tell them you were right to stand up for yourself. You did the best you could with what you knew. I understand why you did that. I'm proud of you for setting that boundary. You did not deserve that. Considering all you've been through, I find it incredible that you still just go on. We as champions need to continue to be heard. We're going to continue. You are, and I'm I'm thankful. Thank you. It would be impossible to sum up everything you've been talking about here. You know, this is so full. And I just want to thank you for speaking with us in the most insightful and detailed manner. You know, I mean, your loyalty to your friend and to all who have been abused or are currently being abused or might one day be abused, your loyalty is just so admirable. I mean, it just it just is over the top. I see myself in some of the things, you know, that you get so wound up in this, it's hard to turn it off, and, and I have the same problem. Your ability to express the complicated story that your friend has and still continues and will always experience, unfortunately, but you've done it in, in, with such specificity and intelligence. It's just, again, so admirable. I just keep finding myself saying admirable. I just want to thank you for selflessly putting your mind and your time into this interview. It's clear that you put a lot of preparation time into this. You seem like the type of person who can get the microphone and go. So that's wonderful. You know, it's there's so many people who have the same kinds of feelings, but they they can't express themselves for whatever reason. Public speaking is not easy. I, I know that from my own experiences way before domestic violence ever entered into our lives. I just want to thank you so much. I'm so glad you reached out. And I know besides telling Mary's story, as you have so brilliantly, that one day we'll get to hear about what you have experienced and still continue to experience. I mean, nobody really shakes it off. I guess it's a lot like alcoholism, you know, that that you're you're recovering but you don't really shake it off as much as others might wish that you would get over it and talk about something else or look outside. It's a nice day. It kind of hangs there. You know, it's that cloud that will follow you. And the fact that you and I dislike what we are experiencing so much is, is in part what drives us 
to help others to either end the horrible experiences or even better, never have them. I just want to thank you so much, really, you know, Jen. I am really at a loss. I, I don't think anybody's come on this podcast to this point who has touched all the points that you have in such a thorough fashion. I mean, you talked about taking notes throughout. If anybody's taken notes, they've probably used up a couple legal pads by now. Thank you so much. Thank you. A couple of resources, just names. I mentioned Judith Herman, MD, Bill Mitchell, When Dating Hurts, Research, Evan. Stark, Lundy, Bancroft. Yeah, I have Lundy's book. Dr. Romani, R-A-M-A-N-I, Dr. Romani, the foremost, fiercest, most educated and educating person on narcissism. Thank goodness for Dr. Romani. And then everybody on planet Earth on that one path, the divergent path of empathy and compassion, protective parent, Gavin's book, the gift of fear. I forget Gavin's last name. And let me throw one in too. It's called If I Am Missing or Dead by a woman named Janine Latus. I read her book in two or three days. That's how powerful her book is. So thank you so much. Thank you. I can't say thank you in a big enough way. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.